And I'm going to begin reading for us in verse 9, and we'll read together again verses 9 through 12. Romans 4, verses 9 through 12. Here's what we read. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let me remind you from this morning of what's going on here. Paul is still teaching that people are saved by faith in Jesus alone. And he is showing that this gospel is the same gospel taught in the Old Testament, in the law itself, indeed, in the very life of Abraham, the father of the Jews. Yes, Abraham was circumcised. But that circumcision had no place in Abraham's salvation. And how do we know this? Because the scriptures say that Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness long before, in fact, more than a decade before, Abraham was circumcised. Genesis 15, 6, in which Abraham is declared righteous before God, takes place around 14 years before the sign of circumcision is given. And so salvation clearly depended on Abraham's faith alone, and not on this ritual. And so the question that Paul must answer then is this one. Well, then why was Abraham circumcised? If it had nothing to do with salvation, why did God give this sign to Abraham and to his male descendants? A sign is meant to say something. What was God saying through this sign of circumcision? If you remember our study back in Romans 2, um, I hope you'll remember how utterly full of meaning this sign of circumcision actually was. Um, back when we were in Romans 2, we took four or five weeks uh, on this subject and unpacked the, the meanings of this Old Testament ritual. Back in those days, we saw that the sign of circumcision taught three important things. So let me just remind you what we've already seen as a church, because I know it was many months ago, but we have already seen three important truths that circumcision taught, that circumcision pointed to, three things that God was saying through the sign of circumcision. So let me remind you of these. Here they are. Number one, circumcision taught people that if they did not circumcise their hearts, that is, put away their flesh and trust God, they themselves would be eternally cut off from God. You see it again. Circumcision taught people that if they did not circumcise their hearts, that is, put away their flesh and trust God, they themselves would be eternally cut off from God. So we have passages like Moses in Deuteronomy 10 pleading with the people of Israel to, to fear the Lord their God, to walk in the ways of God, to serve God with their whole heart. And then he says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. And be no longer stubborn. 
In other words, in, in, for Moses in Deuteronomy 10, the circumcision of the heart is what really matters. And what does that mean? It means putting away your flesh and following God, fearing God, walking in God's ways. And Moses warned them that if they did not circumcise their hearts, God would cut them off from him and they would be condemned So that was one meaning of circumcision. The second one that we've seen before, circumcision taught of a day when a future descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ, would be cut off by his father so that we might be saved. Circumcision taught of a day when a future descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ, would be cut off by his father so that we might be saved. This is from Colossians 2.11, and it's a really strange and interesting passage. Colossians 2.11 says that you and I were saved by the circumcision of Christ. It's an interesting phrase and an interesting thought. The phrase, the circumcision of Christ, is not talking about the ritual that took place when Jesus was eight days old. The circumcision of Christ in Colossians 2.11 is referring to the cross. It's referring to that moment in which Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The meaning of circumcision was to say, There is coming from Abraham, the seed of Abraham, this one called Jesus Christ, and he will be cut off from his father. That those who are cut off can be brought near and can have God as their father. Finally, the other meaning that we've seen before, circumcision pointed to a day when Abraham would become the father of nations. Circumcision pointed to a day when Abraham would become the father of nations. This is why circumcision takes place on the the part of the body that it does. It, It points to fatherhood. Abraham would be the father of many nations. Ancient Israel... It was the shadow. It was a physical nation with physically circumcised people. They were physically Abraham's children. But all of that was the shadow pointing to the real thing to come. That there's going to be a spiritual nation. A spiritual nation made up of nations. In which people will be spiritually circumcised in the heart. And will be the spiritual children of Abraham. All of the Old Testament fulfillment of the promises were just a shadow of the true fulfillment that we're living in today. Jesus shows up preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What kingdom, Jesus? What are you talking about, a kingdom? The Jews knew what kingdom he was talking about. He was talking about the nation promised to Abraham way back in Genesis 12. From you is going to come a great people, a nation of nations, a people made up of peoples from all over the world. The kingdom promised for generations on the body of every little Jewish boy is what was coming when Jesus came preaching. Salvation was coming to the nations. Abraham was going to be the father of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation who would believe on the same God in whom he believed. That's what circumcision was about. Now, in my opinion, here in verse 11, Romans 4, verse 11, it is this third meaning that Paul is emphasizing, that circumcision pointed to the day of missions. And now it appears that some of the Jewish Christians were trying to use circumcision as a hindrance to missions. They were demanding that all Gentile converts 
that is, all those who weren't Jews who wanted to believe on Jesus, they must submit to the Jewish law. They must become a part of the old covenant, be circumcised. The very thing that circumcision pointed to, the salvation of the nations, was being used to hinder Paul as he went to preach the gospel to the nations. So part of what we have here in these verses is Paul's missionary heart being revealed He is saying circumcision preached a day when the gospel would go to the world. A day when Abraham would be the father of nations. That day has come. Don't use circumcision to hinder the very thing to which it pointed. The problem for us, and this is what I was alluding to this morning, is that verse 11 can be translated in more than one way. Two particular ways. And both of the translations are grammatically correct. In fact, the only way to know which translation is the right one is to look at the context of the passage to choose which translation is right. In fact, it might be helpful here for me to say a word about Bible translations. We've often talked before about the difference between a literal translation and a paraphrase. Uh, Translations like the ESV, the New American Standard, uh, to some extent the New King James, uh, certainly the Holman Christian Standard, these are literal translations of the Bible, meaning they seek to take the Hebrew and the Greek texts and they seek to translate as closely as they can word for word. So Greek word means this, English word. Paraphrases tend to take the text not word by word, but phrase by phrase. What is the meaning of the Greek phrase? Let me translate that into how I think we can give that same meaning in an English phrase. And so because of this, paraphrases like the NIV or the Living Bible are not quite as precise with the text as the literal translations are. But here's the thing. There are places where even the most literal of Bible translations have to make choices about how they're going to translate a verse. And a lot of times these translators have to make choices that in effect help interpret the verse for us. They have to make interpretive decisions. Um, Let me show you what I mean. Here is a word-for-word translation of verse 11 as it reads in the Greek. Here's just a word-for-word translation. And he received sign of circumcision, seal of the righteousness of the faith in the uncircumcision. Okay? That's that's literally what the Greek says. I put another word-for-word there on your outline. You should be able to see it, of, of how it literally looks in the Greek. Abraham's circumcision was a seal of the righteousness of the faith in the uncircumcision. Now, I do not know of a single literal translation that is content to leave that as it is. Most translators say we need to help folks understand what's being said. The problem is in helping folks understand what's being said, they have to make a choice concerning what's being said. Do the words in the uncircumcision refer to Abraham and his state of being uncircumcised? If so, you'll translate it the way the ESV does, right? Or could Paul be using that phrase the way he does elsewhere in the New Testament, namely to refer to Gentiles? 
In other words, is the phrase in the uncircumcision referring to Abraham for those 14 years between Genesis 15 and 17, or does it refer to the Gentiles? If we take the translation of the ESV, circumcision has a fourth meaning. And that fourth meaning is this. It is God's seal on someone that they are right with Him by faith. The other translation says that Paul is not introducing a fourth meaning, but is saying what we already know, our third meaning, namely that circumcision pointed to the future faith of the Gentiles. Now, as we saw this morning, how you interpret this in some ways affects um, the way you think about other things, and many Pado baptists use the translation of the ESV, and most Bible translations that take that route use that as a support for baptizing infants. Way back when our Baptist forefathers in London produced the London Baptist Confession of Faith, they included an appendix to that confession. And in that appendix, they sought to explain why we as Baptists do not believe in baptizing infants. Their treatment of Romans 4, verse 11, is a substantial and important part of that appendix. You see, for many, many years, Baptists were burnt at the stake. They were hung, decapitated, sometimes drowned because of their beliefs about this issue of baptism and the children of believers. In fact, it was because of the persecution that Baptists were facing that our forefathers came together in London and created the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, the whole point of which was to say to our Presbyterian and other Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, we agree with you about so many important things. We agree with you about the Bible. We agree with you about God. We agree with you about the core truths of salvation. We just disagree with you about who makes up the church and therefore who should be baptized. We are not your enemies. Please accept us as we are. That was one of the main motives of putting together that confession is to help other brothers and sisters who are different from us understand why we were different. Baptists are so common now here in America and especially here in the South that sometimes we forget that for a long time we were sort of the black sheep of Protestant churches. We were different. We were looked upon as too radical in our views. We were credo-baptists and most other Protestants were paedo-baptists. So in that appendix to the 1689 London Confession, our Baptist ancestors argued that we should translate Romans 4, verse 11, with the second possible translation. Here is how they translated it. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness by faith, which was to be in the uncircumcision. Our Baptist ancestors argued, as I just said, that the Greek phrase in the uncircumcision is not referring to Abraham and the faith of Abraham, but is talking about those people who are called the uncircumcision, namely Gentiles, the nations, the world. If that's true, then the point of circumcision was to say to Abraham and all of his male descendants, 
There's coming a day when God's promise is going to be fulfilled through you and through the coming one, Jesus Christ. The gospel is going to go to the nations. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be saved. Abraham will be the father of many nations. That's the Baptist, historically Baptist understanding. If we hold to the other view, circumcision was a sign and a seal that this person was right with God by faith. It functioned like our baptism does. All right. I want to show you why I think the Baptist interpretation is correct. But first, let me say a couple of things. First, let me say that the title Baptist is not the most important title in my life. Um, I am a Baptist. I, I am convinced of Baptist things. Being a Baptist is not nearly as important to me as being a Christian, for example. There is to be a priority in these things. And uh, we should know why we are Baptist. We should be convinced of the Baptist position. But it is the fact that we are followers of Jesus, that we are Christians, that should be most important. And many of those who disagree with us about this are also Christians, right? Presbyterians, Lutherans, many others, right? And so we need to remember that they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is, this is an in-the-family debate. So we must never look upon those who think differently than us about this as if they're somehow our enemies. No, not at all. Second, let me say again, let me echo from this morning, that I have a very high regard for many people who believe that paedo-baptism is correct. Most of the godly men whose books and writings and sermons that have influenced me the most have been paedo-baptist, mainly Presbyterians. For far too long, it was conservative Presbyterians, PCA, OPC, those guys who held fast to the truths of God's Word while Baptists were playing fast and loose with the Scriptures and, and embraced all sorts of wrong ideas. And so even while I disagree with Presbyterians and other paedo-baptists on this issue... We need to disagree humbly. We need to disagree with respect. We need to always disagree with the willingness to be corrected if we can be shown from the Bible that we are wrong. Now, that said, why should we believe that Abraham's circumcision was a sign of the future faith of the nations and not a sign of his own faith? I have eight reasons. We're going to move quickly. So that's why I gave you the guide, okay? Uh, eight reasons. Number one, Paul explicitly says in Ephesians 2.11, Paul explicitly says in Ephesians 2.11 that the uncircumcision is the Gentiles. In other words, in trying to figure out this phrase, the uncircumcision, and what it refers to, we can look at other passages in the New Testament where this phrase is used. And there we see that this phrase refers to Gentiles and the Gentile world. Ephesians 2.11, Paul makes that very clear. Speaking to Gentiles, he tells them that they are called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, namely the Jews. So if we've read Ephesians 2.11, our first instinct should be to translate this phrase as referring to the Gentiles. Number two, Abraham was not circumcised in Genesis 15, but in Genesis 17. 14 years after he believed. 14 years after he believed. If circumcision was a sign and a seal, if it was God's way of saying to Abraham, you are right with me by faith, if it functioned the way baptism did, as an outward profession of faith, why was there this long period of time, a decade and a half, 
before God introduced the sign to Abraham. When an adult comes to Christ, we wouldn't tell them to wait that long to be baptized. We, we tell them to do it reasonably soon. And so, so circumcision doesn't look like a sign and a seal of Abraham's faith. Third, the context of Genesis 17 The context of Genesis 17 shows that Abraham's circumcision was about the nations. It was about the nations. Look at Genesis 17. This is is where God gives to Abraham this rite of circumcision and tells him why he's giving it to him and what it's about. This is what Paul has in mind in Romans 4. In fact, he's going to quote Genesis 17.5 in just a few verses down. So Genesis 17 is what's going through Paul's mind as he's talking about these things. What does Genesis 17 say about this rite of circumcision? Verse 1, Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations." This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, Both he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So here we see that circumcision was given as a sign of the covenant, this this great promise being given to God. And what what is the emphasis of the promise? What is it that God is especially saying to Abraham here? That he will multiply Abraham greatly. That he's going to have many multitudes come from him. He's talking about offspring, but he's not talking about physical offspring, the Jews. He's talking about spiritual offspring, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. We know it from verse 4. You shall be a father of a multitude of nations. And in case we miss the point of what the emphasis is, God does something radical in Abraham's life. Namely, changes his name. He lived for 99 years with the name Abram. He was probably used to that name. right? And God decides at 99 years old to change his name from Abram to Abraham. Why? Because Abraham means father of a multitude. In Genesis 17, God does not seem to be given circumcision as a sign of the faith that Abraham has had for the last 14 years. 
He's giving circumcision as a sign of the promise that he just made to Abraham. I am going to be with you and your offspring. I'm going to give you an everlasting possession. And through you, I am going to take the gospel to the nations. Nations are going to come from you. It was the missionary promise of God that circumcision was meant to point to. The future faith of the nations. Now, back in Romans 4, this is argument number 4. Paul's argument in verses 11 and 12 shows that he understands circumcision to be about the future faith of the nations. Verses 11 and 12 shows that he understands circumcision to be about the future faith of the nations. Look back at Romans 4, 11 through 12. Listen to Paul make his case. We're beginning in the middle of verse 11. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe. Now stop. The purpose of what? The purpose of circumcision was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. In other words, the purpose of Abraham receiving circumcision was to show God's promise that he was going to be a father. The father of who? The father of all who believe, whether they be circumcised and believe or uncircumcised and believe, but all who believe. Abraham's circumcision was about this, that from him would come many who share his faith, who would be his spiritual descendants. Ultimately, this would happen through the one descendant, Jesus Christ, who would bring all these things to pass. You see, Paul, drawing from Genesis 17, does not see circumcision as being about Abraham's personal faith, the way baptism is. Rather, it was about many, many people becoming his spiritual children. So the flow of verses 9 through 12 is this. Verses 9 and 10, Abraham's circumcision had nothing to do with his salvation. Okay, well then why was he circumcised? Verses 11 and 12, to point to the day when God would keep his promise and make Abraham the father of many nations who would trust in God. And by the way, you might say, why is that important? Well, if Abraham is to be the father of the nations, then don't you think the way he was saved should affect the way we think about us being saved? The reason Paul wants us to see that circumcision was all about Abraham becoming the father of the nations is he's making a point the way Abraham was saved is the way everybody's going to be saved. So that's why this is important to Paul. The fatherhood of Abraham matters. The father was saved by faith alone. The offspring shall be saved by faith alone. And as Paul says in Galatians, it is those of faith who are the true offspring of Abraham, the true Israel. All right. Are you with me? Are we together? Maybe. Okay. Number five. This one's easy and kind of obvious. The part of the body involved in circumcision shows that it was about the faith of future peoples and not the personal faith of Abraham. The part of the body involved in circumcision shows that it was about the faith of future peoples, not the personal faith of Abraham. Circumcision takes place on that part of the body that has to do with procreation, that has to do with reproduction, that, that shows that it's about the future, that it's about future peoples. Sixth. 
The vast majority of circumcised Jews were not men of faith. The vast majority of circumcised Jews were not men of faith. If circumcision is what the ESV translators have made it out to be, a sign and seal, God's putting His mark on someone, this person is right with me by faith, well, then it was a horrible sign because the vast majority of people who received the sign never were people of faith. There was always a remnant of true Jews who were both circumcised and did have faith, but the vast majority grew to be people who dishonored God, failed to trust God, and caused His name to be blasphemed among the nations. We saw that in Romans 2. If parents circumcised their children, thinking that God had promised them that because of that, their child would grow up to believe, the vast majority of parents were very disappointed. God nowhere promised that Jewish children would grow to love Him and trust Him because they were circumcised. Nowhere promised that circumcised children would grow up and follow Him. And the sad record of the Old Testament is that most didn't. Circumcised Jews were typically unbelievers, not believers. So if circumcision was a sign and seal of righteousness had by faith, it didn't function well most of the time. It wasn't true. It makes it strange to me that that my Presbyterian friends think that God has promised to them that because they are believers, by baptizing their children, their children will one day be believers too. You say, surely Presbyterians don't believe that. I checked to make sure. Westminster Confession of Faith uses that kind of language. It doesn't hold up. Just because parents in the Old Testament circumcised their children was no guarantee that their hearts would ever be right with God. It doesn't work with baptism either. Romans 9, which we'll get to later, is all about the fact that God is sovereign over who ultimately believes and who doesn't. Abraham circumcised Ishmael and Isaac, but only Isaac became one of God's people. Isaac circumcised Esau and Jacob. Only Jacob came to be a believer. Circumcision was never a sign of faith the way baptism is a sign of faith. It was a generational sign of the promise to come that Abraham would be the father of many nations. Number seven. Number seven. Many of the people in the Old Testament who were believers were never circumcised. Many of the people in the Old Testament who were believers were never circumcised. So when our Presbyterian brothers and sisters say that in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign, it was a profession of faith, not only is that untrue because so many of the people who were circumcised were not believers, but it's also true because there were many believers who were never circumcised. You can think about, obviously, all of those who came before Abraham, Adam, Enoch, Job, many others. We can talk about those who were alive in Abraham's day who were true believers but were never circumcised. Men like Lot, men like Melchizedek. And then, of course, there are all those women, all those girls, right? Circumcision was a ritual for males only. Does that mean that only men were believers? Of course not. Does that mean that only women who belonged to men who were circumcised were believers? None of us would hold to that, I hope. So all of these uncircumcised believers give us good reason to think that circumcision was never a mark that somebody was saved. 
or that someone was, was right with God by faith. Instead, circumcision was about what Paul was saying here in Romans 4. It was a sign and seal of the righteousness by faith that was to come to the offspring of Abraham, to the uncircumcision, to the Gentiles, to the world. It was all about missions. It was all about these New Testament days that were coming, that we're living in. Finally, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, give us confirmation of what we have seen. Gives us confirmation of what we have seen. Let's go there real quickly and you can look at it. You see, circumcision was a seal. We talked about what that word seal meant this morning. Um, Just to give you another example, maybe uh, uh, you've seen some product in a store that had the, the Sears and Roebuck seal of approval, right? Circumcision was God's seal placed upon Jewish males. What did the seal mean? What was God saying? What does it mean we call circumcision a seal? Well, let's look at how the word seal is used here in 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22. Paul says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us And has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. By the way, if you have an ESV, you can notice that the footnote uh, there, the word guarantee can also be translated down payment. You see, circumcision never pointed to baptism. It pointed to something else. It pointed to the future day when people of every nation would be circumcised in heart. It pointed to the day when the Holy Spirit would be given to people from all over the world. In the New Covenant, indeed in all of history, it has always been the Holy Spirit who has been given as the true seal of salvation. How do we know those who truly belong to God? They have the Holy Spirit. And thus they will have the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee, the down payment, that we will one day see God in all His glory and dwell with Him forever. We have God now in His Spirit as the guarantee that we will have Him then in His fullness forever. This is how the word seal is used. Something is given to us as a seal guarantees something else yet to come. Something given as a seal is a down payment of something bigger coming in the future. So if that's what a seal is, how was circumcision a seal? What was the guarantee? What was the future thing that circumcision was pointing to? Answer, the salvation of the nations. For centuries, Jewish boys were circumcised. This was done to call the Jewish people to look back at the promise that God made to Abraham, but especially to look forward to the future day when he would be the father of many nations. Circumcision was the seal through which God said, here is the beginning, the rest is coming. I've started with Israel. I have many more nations to reveal myself to. I'm beginning with the Jews. But Jews, it's not all about you. I'm just starting here. You are the beginning. You are the first nation in which my gospel is going to be heard. 
You are the first of the many nations that will make up Abraham's offspring. More is coming. Abundantly more is coming. The whole earth shall know of the true God through his gospel and his son. From the beginning, circumcision was about God's plan to save the world. What are the implications of all that for us? And if you missed this morning's message, it may be kind of lost on you because a lot of this was assuming you heard this morning. But first and primarily, this passage confirms for us the gospel of salvation by faith alone. I don't want us to miss the main point in the midst of all this circumcision baptism talk. The main point is that the gospel is salvation by faith in Jesus alone. No rituals required. Second, I hope we understand a little better why we are Baptists. Those who believe that circumcision in the Old Testament is the same as baptism in the New Testament misunderstand both of these ordinances. They claim something of circumcision that I don't think Paul was ever claiming circumcision to be, and then they transfer it to baptism and make baptism something that I don't think it was ever meant to be. Namely, something given to infants. Baptism is actually to mark those who believe Circumcision did not function that way. The other last and main implication is that we should rejoice that for centuries God was pointing to the day when the gospel would come to Gentiles like you and me. I know that there are some who think that our day, the day of the church, is nothing but a parenthesis in God's plan. Right? There are those who believe that really God loves Israel more than anything. It's all about Israel. And we're living in a day in which we're in this parenthesis and God's doing things for the church. But ultimately, He's going to come back to Israel and it's going to be about them. It's not the way the Bible presents it. The Bible says that from the beginning, on God's heart and mind, was the nations. He chose one nation to start with, one nation to reveal Himself to first, one nation that He was going to work through to bring about Jesus Christ and all of the gospel works that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was through one nation that He was going to begin, but then from that nation, the gospel was going to go into the world. From the beginning, God's plan was to see the nations come to Him. And that includes us who are Gentiles. Aren't you thankful? Shouldn't that be something that encourages us? You're not an afterthought, right? You were part of it from the beginning. So, let's believe on Jesus. Let's commit to follow Him anew. Let's continue to learn from His Word about these things. But ultimately, let us believe the gospel. Jesus Christ is a perfect Savior for sinners like us. All we need is faith and trusting Him alone, and we're okay. Amen? Let's pray.